Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. And what's going on in the news really is all of our business. We can be ostriches, stick our heads in the sand, pretend it has little or no influence in our lives, but the truth is that it has an enormous amount of influence in our lives. And uh, that's why we like to look at the news here on the show. We like to look at it seriously. And we're really big. Uh, when I say we, every guest I get on, we talk a lot about, on, on media issues. We talk about ownership of uh, news consumption uh, rather than being victims of news consumption, being people that really um, look at what's going on through different perspectives so they don't find themselves stuck in the echo chamber. One of my absolute favorite people to have these conversations with is Dr. David Dozer. He's joining us today, uh, Professor Emeritus from San Diego State University in journalism, and a great friend of mine, a great friend of the program, and although we don't agree on much politically, we sure agree a lot on the importance of uh, free speech and, uh, and on the importance of a free press. David, always glad to have you on the program. Real quick, tell us about your book, which is, I think it's a phenomenal book. The best kind of fiction is fiction that teaches us about what goes on in the real world today and your book did just that. Well, thank you, Kevin, and it's great to be back. Um, my book, uh, The California Killing Field, which you can find at uh, daviddozierbooks.com, D-O-Z-I-E-R, uh, it basically uh, talks about the death penalty, but uh, subtext has to do with the way in which uh, the news media can be manipulated to help create uh, opinions when perhaps opinions don't even exist. And that's very relevant to what we're talking about today, which is uh, uh, crystal ball journalism. Yeah, which is so popular. In fact, almost all journalism, journalism is totally driven by fear these days, in my opinion. There's very little educational objective. It's all about uh, clickbait. It's all about terrifying us to read another story. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's the psychiatric industry that's funding journalism today uh, or, or what, <laughs> but, but uh, it, it's not really sound journalism. And, and I, I'm not saying, you, of course, are welcome to your own uh, opinion, um, David, and um, that I'm okay with with projecting what could happen. I'd like to see journalism that talks about different perspectives of what could happen. Not a whole lot of that going on. It's pretty much grab you by the nose and drag you along. Um, you know, and I think a great example that I'm, I'm sure we'll spend some time on today is the foregone conclusion that Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee. That kind of conversation I hear every single day on the media this, to me, oozes of wishful thinking for a media that can't have good ratings unless there's someone like Donald Trump in the news. Um, but that's just one example of many. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, as uh, I indicated to you uh, uh, previously, um, November 2024, nobody, nobody knows what's going to happen. Uh, and uh, uh, so a lot of what you're seeing, and it doesn't matter whether you're on the left or the right or in the center, uh, a lot of speculation about what's going to happen. And that gets compounded by these uh, public opinion polls, which are asking people questions about things that they don't necessarily even have opinions about yet. And that may seem funny. 
But the only thing I'm reasonably confident is that most people aren't happy with uh, uh, the idea of Joe Biden uh, for another four years, and they're not uh, terribly happy about uh, Donald Trump for another four years. In other words, the majority of Americans right now aren't happy with either candidate. And what happens in November 2024 is just uh, it's just crystal ball journalism. Yeah, absolutely. And so let's talk a little bit about that. Why, why don't you kind of give us a panoramic overview? In fact, you sent me some great bullet points. Why don't we just do a, a panoramic overview of those real quickly, and then we'll get into some depth on this based on time left. Okay, uh, just real briefly, uh, crystal ball journalism, uh, my colleague Diane Borden refers to it as predictive journalism, and it's just uh, speculative journalism about something that's going to happen in the future. And when you think of uh, uh, journalism as the first draft of history, it would seem uh, appropriate to spend your time talking about things that have just happened rather than speculating about what's going to happen in the future. The reason why that's so problematic from a journalistic perspective is that when you're wrong, it basically takes another whack at uh, your credibility as a news source. Uh, People want to be able to believe you, but they can't if time after time you say, well, this is what's going to happen in the future, and it doesn't happen. And so that's kind of the the crux of it. And this type of of, uh, crystal ball journalism goes hand in hand with uh, public opinion polling. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, so another one that's kind of a corollary to this one is uh, this candidate is unacceptable. We heard that all the time in 2016, right, which is how we got Donald Trump. <laughs> People don't like to be told, you know, who they're supposed to vote for. Um, it it, it kind of is contrary. I hear all the time from journalists about saving democracy while they're wagging their finger at uh, voters on uh, who is acceptable and who isn't. Uh, that's the kind of thing you've seen from uh, totalitarian states, not from free uh, societies. And so, you know, the voters showed them to their own demise. I think I'd like to think uh, most voters regret it uh, by now. Uh, time will only tell. Uh, we hear about, you know, Trump doing so well. It's only with, with like one-third at the max of the voting population Yet, I understand they have a profound influence on the primary process. But all of this is so, you know, it's so speculative. You know, they don't talk about these these uh, cases that Trump is dealing with that, frankly, like in Georgia, could put him in jail for over a decade. I don't ever envision him going to jail. Our country doesn't want that to happen. But I can see him under some kind of sophisticated house arrest for 10 years you know, uh, the rest of his life, in other words. And so it, it's all very bizarre, this, this speculative type of uh, journalism. And I, I don't know, I made a statement about my view. I don't have a problem them speculating on how things could go. I have a problem when they pretend they know exactly how it will go and not talk about options. Your thoughts? Right. Well, I, I, I think we mostly agree on this, Kevin. My take on it is that uh, you're better off talking about where things are at. And, uh, of course, most of the speculation is coming from, you know, third-party sources anyway. Um, but certainly uh, people don't like being told what's going to happen, and we don't know. Uh, and uh, as a consequence, I think journalists should uh, uh, tread lightly in that area. That doesn't mean that there's no 
good place for crystal ball journalism. The weather report is typically about what's going to happen. Frankly, here in Southern California, we don't have weather, we have climate, but if there's a storm coming, we want to know about it. And of course, that's somewhat speculative. Um, so it's not like it's uh, always wrong to have uh, crystal ball journalism. But I think uh, you're making a good point that uh, we kind of... Uh, uh, spend an awful lot of time spinning our wheels with um, things that may or may not happen. Uh, as regards uh, former President Trump, um, he's already told us what he intends to do uh, in speeches. And, of course, you can discount that, well, he doesn't really mean it. Um, but uh, I think it's worthwhile pointing out what he's already said. So you don't have to be speculative Particularly, you can just say, well, this is what he's uh, what he's said publicly about what he intends to do. And I think that's good journalism saying, OK, once he's in office, this is what he will do. Uh, that's speculation. And when it doesn't happen, everybody's going to say, well, that's uh, that's your you know liberal bias in the media. Uh, and they were just out to get Donald Trump because he didn't do the things you said he was going to do. So. Don't go in. Don't get in the business of telling what the future holds because you don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and of course it's incredibly difficult in our current time. I don't know. I, I use this figure one third because that it, to me seems like a group that has come to the conclusion they don't have any choice but Donald Trump for whatever reasons. Many, many of them who have voted for Obama in the past because they were just looking for disruptive leadership, not necessarily philosophical leadership. It's very interesting to see. 20% of all those who voted for Obama voted for Trump. So these people don't have an ideology. They're looking to shake things up. And, uh, my God, they're terrifying. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I, when I look at the, at the situation, it's very difficult because a lot of that core group uh, doesn't matter if they see Donald Trump say it. They don't believe it's anything but fake news, the old fake news crutch. You know, and I have people lecturing me about, oh, yeah, you really should spend less time looking at the news. You know, look at these sources, which are practically in the dark web. <laughs> I'm like, no, I, I think it's important to get a lot of different perspectives. And, and uh, no, everyone, you know, there's a huge number of people who are terrified by uh, having their views challenged, they're terrified of nuanced thinking. And uh, I would have thought after what we've gone through with Trump, we would be getting better in this respect, that we'd be exhausted and tired of that uh, type of approach. Um, but it seems like those who are who have been passionate about that remain passionate about that. It, it, to me, I'm, I'm very concerned. I remain very concerned about the future. Well, I am too. Uh, if you were to ask me to do a crystal ball, which I'm basically saying a journalist shouldn't do, but I'm not a journalist <laughs> anymore, so I will. Um, yeah, I, I see you know dark things on the horizon. I think. Uh, the idea of uh, voting to impeach uh, President Biden and then trying to look for some evidence to support it is it's not healthy. Uh, it's not going to do any good. And I understand the partisan reasons for doing it. Um, but there are uh, issues having to do with institutional credibility. And uh, I don't think that helps Americans feel good about uh checks and balances and the nature of uh, Congress when uh, that kind of foolishness is going on. Um, So there's an awful lot of reasons to be uh, pessimistic. Uh, 
my own personal opinion is I, I'm kind of with most Americans. I, I don't like either of my choices. Um, I don't know where you're at, Kevin, but if it's a race between Biden and Trump, those are not the choices I'd like to have. I'd like not to have close. Other, two of the worst other, choices I've seen. <laughs> two of the worst choices I'd like I've to seen. see some other. I'd like to see some other candidates, uh, but uh, that's the nature of our uh, two-party system. And, uh, uh, you know, I think the Republicans are sort of stuck with uh, former President Trump and Democrats are sort of stuck with uh, Joe Biden unless he decides not to run, which is unlikely. Well, I think for me, I'm not voting for either of those. Uh, Frankly, I just won't do that. Um, And and I largely agree with your assessment on Biden because the primary driver of these investigations are revenge, as if something was done to Trump. And everything done to Trump was done by Trump on himself. I mean, I've never seen such a case. It makes Richard Nixon look like a Boy Scout. When you look at his activity as president, I mean, I mean, it's mind-boggling to me that there's a debate on this. Uh, um, and and I, I've got to admit, it because I, I think corruption is so ubiquitous, I thought that there was a possibility. Surely, you know, he'd been around in politics for a long time. And the best thing to happen to Joe Biden with the, was the so-called truth squad, uh, <laughs> so-called by me, I'm not sure if anyone else is doing it, developed by the Republican Party to investigate whether or not they should impeach. And that, that, that so-called truth squad, so-called by me, these guys were the best defense for Joe Biden that could be created. They couldn't find anything. They still haven't found anything. Um, they, they don't even have a smoking pea shooter, let alone a smoking gun. Um, and yet, yet it continues. And, and of course, Biden's son, uh, he's a complete disaster. You know, he's looking at a potential 17 years in prison based on uh, what has unfolded. Um, what's that got to do with Joe Biden? Uh, I, I don't get that, that connection. And uh, everyone is so blinded by politics and passion and partisanship. The country is way low on the priority list for these guys who get elected. Uh, for me, I'm going to vote. I'm going to. I'm going to vote for a third party just to vote against the two-party system, um, and either a third party or an independent. Frankly, a, a Joe Manchin running as an independent um, is way more reasonable than either of the two that uh, that we're looking at because. Uh, you know, and I know he's probably way too right for for someone like you, but he's a consensus builder. He believes that the role of government is to govern, and I think we need someone like that as president of the United States. Uh, well, it you know you find it's funny you mention a third party uh, voting for a third party candidate, and uh, uh, spirit of full disclosure. Um, I will as as well here in California. But you see, I have what's called the blue wall, which is uh, if it's got a Democrat after the name of the candidate, it could be a tell of the hunt. And a tell of the hunt would beat any Republican in California by 20 percentage points. So Absolutely. I can do whatever I I can do whatever I want. And uh, the California electoral votes will go to whoever the Democrats put forward, which will probably be Joe Biden. So uh, I, 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 I feel free. So my wall's right. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you've got a red wall. <laughs> yeah. If it says yeah, Republican yeah. after the name, Attila the Hun could win in Texas. So yeah, there we go. Oh, so maybe well, that's our third party Hun candidate. I think was in the primary, but wasn't as authoritarian as Trump and decided to get out. Well, I, that, 
That would be interesting. But I think Donald Trump getting out of the election, uh, barring, you know, some kind of health emergency, I just I just don't see that happening. No, and uh, no way. you said you uh, that m- most Americans uh, don't want to see Donald Trump actually in prison. He should be in house arrest. And my better self says, yes, that's true. Um, but there's the other part of me that says, nah, I think, uh, you know, orange jumpsuit would be appropriate. Go well with his hair, no question about it. Um, yeah, I, I think that I, I'm just telling what Americans believe. I think he deserves prison from what, everything I've read. I believe in trials. It'd be nice to have trials, but I've never seen indictments like this. Most Americans don't read these things. Um, I, I was a paralegal at one point in my life, and so I, I find, find myself interested in things like these indictments. I've never seen a more damning indictments than the one that are against him, uh, especially the one in Georgia. Holy mackerel. I mean, this thing is strong. And it's the kind of thing that would lead to a decade or more in prison for anyone else. Um, And so um, it'll be interesting. Uh, Jack Smith asking the Supremes to fast track whether or not uh, he should, whether or not he he can call immunity. I thought that was a brilliant move. I'm glad he did it. I guess it could be harmful if you are among those who want consequences for Trump. Um, but uh, my gut tells me, based on this court, that people like to treat like it's a crazy right-wing court. I think it's an extreme traditional court, is how I would interpret it. And uh, and so what they're going to say is, mm, this is something that Congress should determine, uh, you know, or someone else should determine, not us. We don't arbitrarily make those kind of kind of decisions. And so they, they, they Congress needs to make guidelines around that. That's what Mike tells me, with the exception of Thomas and Alito. You know, those guys might vote in Trump's favor, but I think people will be surprised by uh, what those results will be by the Supreme. That's what Mike tells me. And, and uh, I think if it is found that he's going to be subject to trials, he's not even going to be able to show up for events, and eventually you've got to begin doing that. He's going to find himself in jail for contempt. He's going to be found in jail for um, criticizing inappropriately beyond gag orders. You know all this stuff's going to unfold. The more that kind of thing happens, it's going to be harder and harder for anyone to vote for him except for, you know, that fringe group, which, I don't know, they may have to rule today again in order to get to, to normalcy. The bridge to normal may look really bizarre. Well, I, I, you know, I agree with everything you said, and, and to my mind, it's, it ends up being a, a kind of a decision tree. Uh, if uh, Trump were reelected, then you can just kiss all the federal stuff goodbye. He'll just replace everybody with lackeys, and uh, uh, and uh, they'll stop pursuing the charges. But you're right, Georgia is the Georgia is the one that's the most interesting, uh, in part because. Uh, You've got all these underlings that are going to basically uh, uh, cut deals, and when they do, they're going to have to testify about things they know uh, that Trump did. And you can get to him uh, through people who were there when he committed the crimes, if indeed he committed them. So uh, George is the interesting one, and it's also the one where they got a lot of leverage. And there's nothing uh, 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 a uh, President Trump, if he gets reelected, there's nothing a President Trump can do about state charges that that goes that's right and frankly there's not anything brian kemp can do either georgia is one of those states in which a parole board has to make a decision there are no pardons without the parole board 
Yeah, and Kemp is not in any mood uh, to uh, uh, to spare Trump. I mean, uh, Trump has been brutal to uh, uh, the Republican oh, establishment in Georgia, and uh, they have weathered uh, one election uh, when he was trying to uh, get somebody else elected uh, within you know the Republican primaries. And so there's no love lost between uh, the Republican establishment in in, in Georgia and uh, and former President Trump. Yeah, you know, and this is the thing that the, that the Trump supporters don't seem to get. He has burned so many bridges with places that are naturally friendly to him, like Georgia, right? I mean, that's a naturally friendly state, GOP-wise, to him. The, Georgia's not the only place where he's done this kind of thing. He's done this kind of thing in Arizona, certainly not to the same extent to, to, to uh, Georgia. Uh, but he's so even if he didn't have the fact that he's looking at at uh, jail time potentially, uh, you know, besides that looming over his head, the simple dynamics of getting elected have been completely obliterated by Trump. Obliterated by Trump, and people don't seem to get it. He not only loses in 2024 in my crystal ball, excuse me, uh, I had to wipe off the dust. But I don't see how he not only loses, but loses big. In fact, I think Donald Trump is about the only Republican that uh, can't beat Joe Biden. <laughs> you know? And, and right. you know, I sit there and look at that. To me, I, I've been saying this now for uh, really since 2020, all the more so after the 2020 off-year elections where uh, Democrats won by a margin we hadn't seen in an off-term election since Franklin Roosevelt. And my friend... Joe Biden is no Franklin Roosevelt that a vote for, for Trump or anything connected with Trump is a vote for the Democrats. I think Trump is, is the most important politician in the Democrats' universe. Well, well, I don't really I agree. believe that. And, you know, uh, how's my, my that take good? on it is, my take on it is that this isn't an election for uh, Trump uh, to win. This is an election for Joe Biden to lose. And frankly, I, he's doing a good job of that. Uh, uh, he's uh, the Democratic coalition is a very loosely organized coalition, and uh, 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 Biden needs the support of people of color. He needs the support of young people, and he's doing a great job of alienating them right now. Uh, and so, and now whether that's going to matter in November 2024, you know. I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but uh, I think it's going to be an interesting election, uh, no matter which which way it turns out. Uh, but I'm pretty sure we're going to have uh, uh, Mr. Trump and Mr. Biden on the ballot uh, as the major party candidates. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. And I guess that's why I continue to think, you know, I, I, and, and by the way, I know you weren't trying to devalue voting for third parties because the bigger that third party number is, the more it makes people look at it. You know, it's laughable the kind of turnout third parties get gotten and it's gotten worse every year. Frankly, 2016, I thought by far the best candidates were the uh, Libertarian Party candidates. You had incredibly uh, popular governor of New Mexico with Gary Johnson. Uh, on the top of the ticket, and a uh, former governor of Massachusetts who is really very liberal, Republican, and Massachusetts is liberal, to balance that ticket and with real electoral experience. It had the strongest resume, resume of, the three, of the three parties, of those three parties, and it did, it did pathetic. 
but uh, again, I don't know what else to do except for vote against a system that's so clearly broken. Frankly, I would vote for RFK over Junior over these two, and I have huge problems with RFK Junior. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, you keep uh, mentioning how far apart we are politically, but it sounds like we're going to do the same damn thing in our respective states. So uh, I'm suspecting your third party is a little bit different than my third party, but neither of us uh, would uh, like to see the status quo continue. The, somebody needs to shake up the Republican Party and somebody needs to shake up the Democratic Party because uh, neither of them are doing what they should be doing. That's ridiculous. The, the Republican Party is now a full-fledged do-nothing party. You know, I remember hearing that years ago, and I used to find that so critical. Do nothing. Oh, they just don't want to do bad things. Well, that may have been the you know Republican view of bad things. That may have been true there then. Not anymore. It's full-fledged do-nothing. It's shocking what what that party is like. And uh, you know, I will never forget Kevin McCarthy uh, talking about uh, Jim Jordan as a great legislator. A great legislator, a man who not had a single bill introduced that passed Congress in 16 years. I thought a great legislator legislated. I mean, it's it's really incredible to see uh, the Republican view of governing uh, today. Um, man, it's just shocking. Okay, we went all of this here. Is, what we did is kind of like did uh, uh, a rainbow of case studies of uh, speculative and crystal ball, uh, crystal ball uh, politics at work. So we kind of stuck with it, but we also kind of went all over the place. And here we are running on a uh, uh, shortage of time, but uh, I, I would like to give you a few minutes to kind of like bring it down to some takeaways for the listener. Well, the big takeaway is is that when you read a, a read or listen to or view a news story about what's going to happen in the future, take it with a grain of salt because uh, you know uh, psychics might be able to figure out what's going to happen in the future before it happens. But I can tell you, journalists uh, don't know, and uh, you're probably better off, uh, as we've always recommended, uh, looking at multiple news sources and going back to original documents and as a uh, citizen of democracy, uh, that'll make you a better voter, or at least a more informed voter, than listening to uh, uh, crystal ball speculation about what may or may not happen in the future. Yeah, all of which is confirming your beliefs. Don't look for your views to be confirmed. If you do, you are, are really got huge blinders on that uh, at some point, hopefully, you'll begin to regret that. It took me a long time. Uh, and, and I still struggle with a little bit of that because I think we all honest, all honest players in the political process uh, respect the fact that we have blinders on, right? You have a bias. I have a bias. There's no question about it. The more I am aware of that, the more likely I am to respect others for their bias because we all have them, and the more likely I am to mitigate the bias in my voting behavior or my conversation behavior not, uh, you know, by simply looking at other perspectives or even seeing the value of taking a different approach. Man, all that's really helpful, nothing else for my mental and physical health. And so I'm all over that. Um, yeah. And regarding your sum up, which I thought was excellent, uh, mine would be it's okay. It's okay as a crystal ball. But I, for one, find it a huge red flag if they only give you one perspective on how things could unfold. 
And it would be really nice if they bolstered the crystal ball by quoting authorities like those you refer to, scientists and doctors and people like that, rather than making it up themselves. Because it's, there's no harm in looking at what could happen. It is harmful to pretend you know what will happen, though, in my opinion. Uh, all right, very good. Then another robust conversation, shockingly, uh, largely agreeing uh, on uh, on the big stuff in this conversation. Uh, you know, in the end, you know, we're going to be voting for different losers, it sounds like. <laughs> but well, we're both not going to vote for the, the uh, either of the losers that are likely to get elected. <laughs> so, but, hey, you know, so there's one more thing we have in common. Exactly. Well, uh, you know, we, we keep looking for areas of disagreement, but I think this is segment number 30, and uh, we still haven't hit any major things where you and I uh, uh, have a hissy fit and decide we don't ever want to talk to each other. So I, I think that's a good sign. And I think talking with people, not just reading news sources or listening to news sources, but listening and having conversations with people you don't agree with necessarily, uh, you develop better communication skills and uh, uh, you, you do exactly what you were describing earlier, which is, is that you learn how to communicate in ways that other people can hear it. And in the process, you get a clear understanding of where they're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Very good as always. Love talking to Dr. David Dozer. He's a personal favorite, a fan favorite. We get good re reviews when he's on. And one of those people that I always look forward to our next segment, just minutes after the segment I'm in. And thanks so much, David. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. I'm Kevin Price. This is the nationally syndicated Price of Business Show. Stay tuned for more after this.